love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Haley Chura. I'm joined by Alyssa Gadeski. And Alyssa, today we are recording this on a very special day for me. I, I know what I know you know. Can you tell our listeners what's happening in like just minutes from now? There's a really big football game happening and the University of Georgia is involved. I think they're playing Alabama. And is it like the college championship is that or is yes, it just a national championship okay. national the, championship for colleges division yes, one <laughs> yes like fbs series um or yeah so it's like the big leagues people it's a big deal and so i am a university of georgia alumni if you haven't been listening to this podcast um <laughs> long if our our longtime listeners know that because it's something that I mention frequently. I'm very proud to have swum at the University of Georgia. So um, we are recording this. By the time this airs, everyone will know what the outcome of the game, how it how it went. But um, we are recording this just before kickoff. Um, I definitely did not schedule things. I wasn't <laughs> shame on me. I was like, oh, this is like definitely running into um, kickoff. So. But it's it's fine. You know, it's going to be a great we'll game. We'll talk fast. We'll talk yes. fast. Don't worry. I, I mean, that comes naturally to me as well. I am wearing my <laughs> University of Georgia t-shirt. I have like blinged out. I have my rings on, my national championship swimming ring. For good luck. You are like my- a true Southern gem right now, Haley. <laughs> <laughs> I never looked this put together. Um, and, you know, this is like, it's a big deal. Georgia has not won in 40 years. So Whoa, that is a big deal. I thought they won like three years ago or something. No, they no. played, they played Alabama in, yeah, like oh, four years okay. ago and they lost. There we go. Yeah. And so for that one, I actually had like a trainer party because I love doing like bike trainer parties. I like, you know, I've said this before, love exercising while watching other people exercise this year. I'm not doing that. Um, mostly COVID situation. I got my ride done earlier. <laughs> so, um, and I don't have enough snacks to like invite people over to, like, you know, so it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, me and my dog that he's not a bulldog cowboy, but he cheers for the bulldogs. And, um, I, I'm just, I, oh gosh, you know, it's, it's a big deal. So I'm, I'm hopeful I'm rooting for my team and I will give a little shout out to my other team. Well, I didn't, I live in Bozeman, Montana, Montana state played in the division one F CS championship this past weekend, they went for their first title in 37 years and they lost to North Dakota state. So shoot. (laughs) I know. So one of them has to win. Yeah. Hopefully Georgia has a better fate tonight. I'll even, I'll watch some of it for sure. I have masters early tomorrow, so I'm not sure how much I'll watch, but I'll try maybe the first half. I feel like that's reasonable. It's a rough start for East coast. I mean, it's like a late, late start for East coast, but, um, I know, and a little bit early start for for mountain time. I'm like, oh, wait, I'm not quite done with my work day. <laughs> so no. by 6 p.m. always. But, you know, we'll do our best and root for the dogs. And hopefully hopefully, by the time any people are listening to this, it's it's not to, uh, you know, it's at least it's a good game. <laughs> well, Haley, we'll continue talking about other sports other than triathlon on the Iron Women podcast because I wanted to tell you about what I did today. It was super fun. And I took a skate ski lesson. 
So, uh, yeah. So do you skate ski, Haley? I've gone once. I've gone once. I could oh. probably use a lesson. It was, okay. it was, it was, um, I, I want to, well, I'll, here, you tell me about your experience and then I'll <laughs> add some color from mine. Okay. So I have gone once with my boyfriend, Matt, and it was, it was fine experience, but I definitely could tell like something I was like not doing things right. So I watched a lot of YouTubes and I was like, I feel like I can get this sport down, but I just also was avoiding it because I was like, Oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. And this is like, you know, it's a little discouraging when your partner just zooms off and you're like left flailing and not able to like get up off the ground. Right. So I heard about this clinic, the local Nordic ski club in town was putting on for is like, learn to ski for adults. And I was like, oh. and they like the, they were like, we want like true beginners, people who have like really never been on skis. That if that's you, this is for, you know, this is for you. And they're like, just bring whatever skis you have and show up. So I did. And Haley, so some, a lot of people, there were eight adults that showed up and six of the eight brought classic skis. So they went to one area to learn, but I brought skate skis with this other woman and Tracy and I got basically like super like semi-private lesson for an hour, which was really nice and very cool that this local club did that. And my teacher, Emily, I'm sure she was probably like, I don't know, US ski team or something. And I didn't even like ask, I didn't, I was like afraid to ask too many questions because I just didn't want to know like the caliber because she's like showing me the things to do. And, you know, I mean, I've coached a lot of triathlon camps, right? And so you kind of set up the stage for what they're going to do and then you let them try it. And then you're like, yes, you know, like, you're doing it right. Like keep doing what you're doing. Right. Cause you're doing it right. But like she would set up the stage, we would try and do it. And she would look at me like confused. Like, why isn't she doing like, why isn't she just able to like mirror my own movements? You know, like I was that, like, she'd be like ready position and I would do it. And she's like, no. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well that's probably why I'm having a lot of trouble with this because I can't even get step one, like step zero down. Right. So I mean, and I think she knew she had her hands full and was glad she didn't have more than two of us because when we like separated groups, she's like, you guys come with me. She's like, put your skis on, come on. And then she skates away. And I was like, skirt, 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 skirt. Like (laughs) (laughs) trying to catch up to her. And she turns around, she's literally like 200 meters away. And she's like, oops. And she like has to come back for us. So, um, but anyway, Haley, one hour lesson. And by the end of the hour, I was skating laps. They have like a little probably 400 meters, like 400 meter track set, set mm-hmm. up flat. There was like very minimal. There was like a slight incline on one side and a slight decline, but flat. I was skating laps around it with no, no issues. So I came a long way from literally like scraping snow and looking like I was just like walking in these like long, awkward skis to actually like skate skiing a little bit. And once I got the hang of the like ready position and I got more comfortable with the glide and I committed to my skis. That was the, that was a key piece of information. Um, I really actually enjoyed it and I can see why people like it. And I'm not sure if I will ever attempt any sort of hills <laughs> ever, but I kind of liked just like the feeling of like gliding like that. Like it's super fun. And my legs, it was like a nice little shakeout. I had a long run yesterday. And so like, they feel better. I know skate skiing is really hard if you like go really hard, you guys, but if you just want to like kind of shake out a little bit and like zoom across the snow, I was like, this is, this is pretty fun. Oh, committing to the skis. It's all about commitment always. Um, no, I think, I think that 
my experience skate skiing, it gave me a lot of empathy for people who are good athletes who are learning to swim because that was like kind of how it felt for me where I was like, wow, I know I have the aerobic capacity to do this, but I do not have the technique. And when I have watched people who didn't grow up swimming, who are good athletes try to swim for, you know, the first or first couple times, it's, it, it's similar, <laughs> you know, very where you're similar. like, no, that is, yeah, oh, you're trying so similar. hard, but you're not going anywhere. And um, so I think that's what it has given me. But I think, you know, people love skate skiing. I, again, I haven't gone more than that one time, which was a few years ago when we had Keegan Randall on, she challenged me to do it three times. And so Keegan, I'm still working on that <laughs> one of these days. I do think the other thing you know, is that like, would have you thought can... that I'd be doing, I'd get to three probably before you do. I would, I would have bet like I... hundreds of dollars. That was not the case back when we did I that know. in 2018. I know. I just, I know. I just haven't quite gotten back out there, but, uh, I, I love snow running. And so I've just like, I feel like I get my like snow experience from that. And, but again, maybe I don't know what I'm missing. And I do think it's, it's kind of cool how a lot of people around here, you go for a skate ski for like an hour and it's a good workout. I think it is a little bit more like running. You don't have to necessarily go all day. And so I think that can be like a, a good addition if you live in a, a place that has snow and trails nearby. So I hope you keep it up, Alyssa. And maybe one of these days you'll be teaching me how to do it. I know that would be fun. I definitely did everything I could to make sure no one knew I was a professional athlete. <laughs> I like when I emailed to like register, I like took out my email signature. I was like, I'm going totally incognito and like pretending that I like jog casually and like my spare times from time to time because it, it was like, I just don't even want them to like think I know what I'm doing. Like, I didn't even want them to think that I might think that I knew what I was doing, I guess, you know, like I wanted to just be like, coming in coming in blank slate so oh I definitely got recognized by someone I knew (laughs) it was like I just fell a lot like I was falling a lot because I could like I would go going too fast and I just I've skied a lot on you know downhill skiing and so I'm used to having skis having like edges and skate skis don't have like edges and I did not grow up ice skating and so like yeah when people are like it's just like ice skating I was like that doesn't help (laughs) but um so I like try to do some kind of like downhill move and it doesn't work but um (laughs) You know, so I, I, that's probably why I haven't gone back. Cause I was like, I can't, I cannot get her doing this <laughs> So maybe someday, maybe someday, but good job for you for trying something new. And Haley, I guess I actually lied. We're going to continue to talk about some things that are non-triathlon related with our mailbag. So everyone, I was super pumped to be opening the mailbag this week. Um, you all did an excellent job of filling it up with some questions that we'll be getting it up, getting to over the next few weeks, but keep sending them in ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. We have a lot of fun ones to get to, and we're going to go through two from our favorite. Um, not, we don't have favorites (laughs) (laughs) from some of our favorites, um, female (laughs) athletes that we, um, participate in sports with and the first <laughs> is that pc enough for everyone we don't have favorites you guys um the first comes from allison baca and so allison Haley, this is really exciting i just updated you on this before we recorded and allison is running the western states 100 mile race in june this is like this is huge. yeah and allison was a guest on the podcast and she was a professional triathlete who has transitioned more to 
uh, trail running, it sounds like. <laughs> and um, I mean, I and she's a new mom that. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's cool to see how she has, because she had come from like Xterra and cycling and, and now she's more into running. And I think it's just, or I think, and even I think her background was like, like collegiate running short distance. So it's, she has some breadth in her athletic talents and now she's going for this hunter miler. So congratulations, Allison. But wait, tell me what her question was. <laughs> yeah. So we're, I'm like, you know, I'm, we're, we're flattered, I guess that you're reaching out to us for advice here because Allison, you know what you're doing with sports, but, um, she's saying that she's never been able to nail her nutrition strategy for ultra running races and was wondering what advice we might have in terms of foods to try or how to incorporate the nutrition aspect into training runs. Any advice would be greatly appreciated right now. She's doing spring gels and noon hydration, but she's just not sure that would work for hundred miles. And so before we talk about what to use, I think Haley, do you mind if I run with this question? I love talking about nutrition. I, you have a lot more <laughs> 100, um, races, 100 yeah. mile race experience than I do. I can tell you, I can go, I've gone up to 26.2. Actually, that's not true. Yeah. I've done, I've done well, iron and Ironman is like a long day, right? So you, you yeah, know what but to, no, I want to hear what you say first. Okay. So the second part of this question, Allison is like the key, right? So how to incorporate the nutrition aspect into training runs that's the key to like managing nutrition in the race is like training with that nutrition. Right. And so I often, I am always taking in calories when I'm training. Like people are like, you know, you don't need, you don't need calories for less than an hour. I'm like, whatever, if I'm eating during an hour run, I'm training my stomach to constantly be like handling calories and fluid coming in at any given time. Um, and I truly, truly think that like bombarding my system with calories while I exercise is part of the reason why I'm able to handle knock on wood, um, so many calories when I race and I can like continually input them, which is very important for like ultra long distance stuff. So that's the key is, and basically Allison, you just do it, right? You just make the decision. You're going to start fueling every workout and who cares what it is, right? Um, just start giving your body calories. Like, I mean, I even say like, you know, if you have nothing more than Swedish fish or pop tarts, like have Swedish fish and pop tarts, right? Get your body taking in the calories. I assure you with the amount of training you'll be doing for a hundred mile race, you'll be burning them as quickly as they go in. So that's no biggie. Um, but the fun part, what foods to try. So there are no limits. So I like, I'm actually a big fan of spring gels and noon hydration combo as well. Um, I do, I like the spring gels because they have those really concentrated, like 250 calorie ones or 180 calories. So you can get a little bit more bang for your buck out of some of those and they taste good. And, um, they also have like a 300 calorie oatmeal pouch, which is bigger than a gel, but also a lot of bang for your buck there, which could be good. Um, and then coupled with the noon hydration, I find you can get like, if you use the noon endurance, especially you'll get some bonus calories there as well as the electrolytes and everything you need. So I think that's like a really solid base. And then on top of that, things I've tried, um, I definitely use the F2C nutrition, like uh, I think it's called endurance five to one um, from time to time to get in calories on like ultra long distance things um, that it depends kind of, you know, with your goal to like how hard you're going to be running the hundred miles and like what your, your goal pace is going to be. Cause that, you know, for me would determine more liquid or solid stuff. Like if you're just kind of cruise along a little bit more and that's your plan, um, solid foods like pizza, hot pockets, 
anything like that that you think sounds good pierogies um like have your crew waiting with those i think can be good to kind of shove down and like get in more of a solid meal at some point during the day but again allison i have a feeling you're going to be capable of moving pretty quick so maybe like one bigger lunch type of fueling stop but um with more substantial food but then i think you can probably do pretty good with some other liquid calories all right that's my soapbox Haley. what do you think well, I just want to ask, you've run Western States and do you, are, is it always just what your crew has or are there like communal aid stations as well? There are communal aid stations and I assume, I mean, COVID's not going to be gone by June. So it's, it's hard to say. I'm not sure what accommodations they have made for the pandemic. A lot of aid stations definitely like, um, I don't think they would get rid of them altogether at Western States, but they might be like only single serving things or, and like a lot less food than they normally would have. Like maybe more, I don't know, snack types of chips and things like that versus like cooking up big meals for people. But, um, they definitely do. So find out that's a good point though. Are you saying to like, find out what's there and maybe start using some of that too? Or just trying it. Like I'm someone who, um, during training, I will, I'll do kind of similar to you. I never do any workouts unfueled never ever like even I eat before an easy swim at five in the morning because I just I I, my workouts are so much better if I'm well fueled and um and so I think trying things out and I just find that sometimes in Ironman I've been out on a course and all of a sudden I see pretzels at an aid station and is that a hundred percent my nutrition plan? No, but they look delicious. And so I eat them. And so I think that sometimes it is like, I think in that moment I wanted something really salty. And so, um, being able to kind of adapt a little bit to what, what seems good in the moment, um, you know, provided that your stomach can handle some of that. And then the other thing I would just say is that the one thing I've learned from endurance racing is that like, there are always ups and downs. And when you're having a down, I always try to keep fuel and hydration coming in, you know, as much as possible. Um, I mean, it can be really hard if you are having like a gastric issue, but I think that as much as possible, if you can keep fuel and hydration coming in, then when things start getting better, you have the fuel in you to um, go hard again and get going again. And I've had plenty of races where that was the key or where I was um, kind of dragging and I don't know why. And it's like, okay, I, my plan might have been, uh, a gel every three miles, but I'm going to go a gel every one mile and just see if I can get out of this slump. And, um, yeah, so sometimes that does happen. So that, those are my, that's my advice, but, um, wait, can we, can, can we add her PS on here? Because it kind of relates to today. (laughs) Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, say it. Do you have something to respond to the PS? Oh, well, she just said, yes. She said, Haley, one of my best friends who lives on our street in Colorado swam with you in college. Claire McDaniel says hi. So I want to say hello, public hello back to Claire McDaniel, who was Claire Moss in college, who did swim with me at the University of Georgia. And so today we are celebrating the University of Georgia. Georgia. (laughs) Yes, of course. That's why I wanted to. (laughs) I was like, how does this relate to today? Haley's going crazy. Um... (laughs) I don't know if Allison wanted that PS written out, but I think it is a small world. But I'm also not that surprised because it does seem like, you know, endurance sports types um, find each other, right? So it's kind of cool to have that pop into my life today. 
And okay, so our second mailbag we got. So thanks, Allison. And again, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com now for everyone who's inspired to send some in, some mailbag questions in. And our second comes from the Iron Women Podcast super fan, Nicole Falcaro. And she wanted us to know, I think we asked if people set resolutions next year or this I year. I said I love year, last week. Yeah. Yes, I'm um, working on mine. And so a new one. resolution. Oh, tell us, tell us first. Oh, it was to read 50 pages a day. Cause this was inspired by Whoa. Terrence Bates. Um, yeah, I'm Ooh. not doing so good. <laughs> I think it was a little ambitious. I like 50 is um, a lot. 50 is a lot. You'd be through a book in like five to 10 days, depending on the book. That's like a I lot. Know. Yeah. Taryn yeah. read 72 books last year by reading 50 pages a day. And I was like, yeah, 72. Wow. Books. Okay. Let's take it down to 25. would have to at least cut I it think... in half. And even then I think I'd fall, okay, but like, here's I what fall I... asleep. I think maybe I need to I restructure need to be doing... my reading time. No, no, no. Here's the thing. I think as far as like running goes for me and stuff like that, I do a lot of my training based on minutes instead of like miles because, you know, not all miles are created equal. I don't think all pages yeah. are created equal. Okay. And so maybe I should change it to 50 minutes. I'm thinking about this as oh, I'm, okay. I'm hitting a zero page day. That does, today. that seems more doable. Yeah. <laughs> I got football I watch. Someone, I, I feel like I saw on someone's Instagram the other day that they read on the trainer. And I thought about trying that today, but then I, I need a Kindle. I, I would sweat to... all over everything, but yeah. also like, I am never, I don't know. I, I can't like, I would get like motion sickness. I think. Yeah. I just, it didn't <laughs> strike me as something I wanted to do. So instead I turned on Paula and Eric's YouTube videos to watch those for Ooh, an hour today. People exercising. That's the way to go. Uh, anyway. Okay. Let's get back to it. So Nicole's resolution is for 2022 is to send more snail mail. I like that. Um, she says it brightens her day and who doesn't like receiving it. So that's very true. And then she's also going to support small businesses more, which is also another good one. So maybe if you slide off of the reading, Haley, you can. <laughs> I like these ones these. too. I um, might steal some of Nicole's. I don't think you can have too many resolutions. I mean, I have a lot of resolve some days. <laughs> so then we have, okay. So, but she did send in a question. What was the most popular downloaded Iron Women podcast of 2021? Great question. And we actually hadn't like rechecked this. And are you ready for this? Drum roll, mm -hmm. please. Should I go one to five or five to one? How do you want to hear the list? Go one to five. Okay. Our first champion download podcast number is Going All In with Molly Hebda. Maybe maybe Lindsay can insert some like crowd cheers. <laughs> Was my um, our... enthusiastic enough? <laughs> I'll work better. Our, our second one was Inside the Collins Cup with Belinda Granger. Okay. <laughs> our third <laughs> one was Training and Racing with Type 1 Diabetes with Alicia Allen and Lauren Dolan. That makes sense. I These are all mm -hmm. good good episodes. So, I mean, people yeah. have good tastes. Four, Follow Your Own Path with Taylor Nib. And number five, 70.3 World Championship Preview Show with Emily Cox. Oh, these right. These are really good shows. They make me want to go back and listen to them. So, hopefully, if you haven't tuned into them download them and listen this week that could be our listeners new year's resolution to catch up on any that they missed i know or else if if anyone has a different favorite they can always write into our mailbag and tell us a different favorite they had from the last 12 months um you know it's 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 okay i mean sometimes we have favorites that aren't popular in the crowd like molly <laughs> you know um but no congratulations to those episodes <laughs> 
And Haley, are we ready? Are we ready for me to tell everyone who we're talking to today? I think so. We have an interview. We've had so much going on, and yet there's still an interview. Um, you know what? A, what a year it is. And at first glance, it might seem like we don't talk about triathlon in this, but we actually do talk about triathlon a teeny tiny bit in this episode, in this interview. So we are super excited to bring to you guys our talk with Quinn Brett. Quinn is an adventurer and multi-record breaking athlete. In October, 2017, Quinn fell over hundred feet while she was climbing El Cap in Yosemite National Park. That day, Quinn sustained a spinal cord injury, leaving her currently paralyzed from the waist down. Movement in public lands was a big part of life and vocation for Quinn, and she is doing the best she can to maintain a healthy and active lifestyle while still fulfilling her baseline passions. And she's here to tell us all about that, including being the first documented hand cyclist to complete the Tour Divide from Canada to Mexico in 25 days, which was pretty sick feat to learn about from Quinn. So we get to hear about all of that from Quinn next. Haley, have you ever been jealous of the elite running or cycling groups who are able to get their blood work done super quickly and efficiently because they have a doctor on staff? Yes, I have been jealous. I have a great primary care physician, but I'll admit, sometimes I'm curious about certain blood markers in between my annual doctor visits. Me too, and that's why I'm excited Inside Tracker is here. Inside Tracker is on-demand blood testing. You pick your plan online, schedule your blood draw appointment locally, and get your results within a few days. My favorite part, they don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips too. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 25% off of their entire store. Just go to insidetracker.com/ironwomen and get started. Hi Quinn, welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So, we're recording this just a few days past the turn of the new year here, so it does seem appropriate to open and ask with you know, how did you ring in the new year? Are you a new year's resolution person? Did, um, the turning of, you know, 2022 kind of, what, what did that look like for you? Pretty boring. Just another day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a resolution person. Never have been. Nope. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. I will tell everyone that I, um, I didn't, I, I was awake at midnight, but I definitely was not focused on that. I was focused on the university of Georgia football game, which is like the only one I've watched the entire year, but I'm a, I'm a fan on certain occasions. So we all have our own kind of things. Um, but Quinn, we want to talk about you as an athlete, of course, and you have been an athlete, I think pretty much your entire life. And since this is the Iron Women podcast, and a lot of our audience is our triathletes. Um, we we think you actually were a triathlete, or I guess once you're a triathlete, you're always a triathlete. But from 2009 to 2014, you raced triathlons, I think, pretty pretty well. So can you tell us a little bit about your background in triathlon and, and maybe other sports as well? Um, sure. Yeah, I grew up swimming, so I think my that's where my background is as a swimmer, and then moved to Colorado and. Hmm, golly, two, I don't know when I moved there, 2002. Um, and that's when I started running uh, a little bit more. Like, I mean, I did all sorts of sports in high school and track and basketball and all the things, but started mountain running and finding that uh, running at altitude really does make a difference in your training. Um, and so I had done a few road triathlons. I was just curious about them, but I really got into off-road triathlons. I really liked those actually, because the mountain biking is a lot more enjoyable. And um, uh, 
I don't know, getting hit by a car on the side of a road doesn't seem that pleasant. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, I can, I can also say I'm on the off-road journey myself here right now. I've been a triathlete for quite some time. And with COVID, I actually just discovered uh, mountain biking and it's slowly kind of rising in the ranks to, to rival my love of, of biking on the roads. Cause like you said, the, the car factor and the danger, although there, there's plenty of danger in its own right in mountain biking as well, I guess. Yeah. And Quinn, so if people do kind of scroll back in your Instagram feed and follow your journey from that fall you had climbing in 2017 to now, um, one of the things that struck me the most is kind of how positive you stayed. And I, you know, part of me wonders if that's a little bit of, you know, I personally like to share the highlights. And I, I openly say I share mostly highlights on my Instagram feed and kind of try and keep that a more positive place, um, and I, which I think is a common thing to do. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, that initial journey after your fall? And, you know, the, was there a dark time during that? And I imagine there was and kind of how you navigated that initially. There's definitely a dark time. Yeah, I was going to say some of my Instagram sure is some positive, but there's definitely photos of me crying or right after my injury. It's diatribes of the emotions that I'm going through. Um, yeah, you. it was a, a loss of identity and a reestablishing of who I, like understanding, I guess, who I am and trying to find that again. And I still don't know that I found it. <laughs> Did you feel like sharing some of those emotions and like, were you able to find a community through that sharing and outreach at all? I think the sharing of emotions is just more cathartic, like letting my headspace go. And I, sometimes I'll scroll back through and I definitely have some repetition, but I had a small head injury too. So I'm like, and I, I don't know, it's not that I was perseverating on certain ideas, but as we, you know, if we get stuck in a narrative and that's the narrative that we are that we keep telling. And so I definitely, I still have some of those stories internally of like being lonely or to how this body is viewed now as somebody who's disabled. Um, so still struggling with those on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but there, and definitely social media has given, it has given a community in that there are many people It opened my eyes to many people with spinal cord injury and just the ability to talk to strangers across the world so easily and ask them questions as a newbie in this world of, Hey, what is, what is it that you're doing or how does this work? Or <laughs> I love hearing stories of social media as a force for good, because I feel like I struggle with social media. We've talked about this several times on the podcast and um, I struggle with the highlight while looking at everyone else's highlight reel. But I do think the community piece that you've touched on just being able to, DM someone for, you know, just asking questions. It's amazing. It is amazing the people that you can meet through social media. And um, you mentioned about your own identity and how you are still to this day, like, you know, working, working through, like, who are you? And I think, I mean, it's something that I work through, everyone does. And how does sport play into that? Like your role as an athlete, like you said, you grew up competing in, or competing, participating in a variety of activities. It, I mean, I think a lot of us see us, like a lot of our people we've interviewed, you know, it's like people start in one sport, find triathlon, maybe move to off-road, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, is that is that part of it too? Just like reinventing yourself and finding, you know, a new sport that you didn't even know existed a few years ago? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's ingrained in my being to want to move and to play outside. So 
I mean, to have that identity of, or that freedom taken away from my fall, um, it definitely was really hard to find like, well, I'm not going to be running across mountaintops anymore, or I'm not just I, running. Like what I miss most is running. I'm not going to be able to do that. So how do I find that joy again? That's definitely a challenge. And I'm thankful that I I still have swimming, which is awesome. I'm definitely much, much slower as the lower half doesn't help do anything behind me, um, which can be frustrating at times, but I'm thankful that it, that is still there. Um, and then these off-road hand cycles have really helped my mental attitude of like, oh, it's, it might not be the same and it might not be as freeing or uh, I'm not as capable. Like I'm not going to go to the tops of mountains for the most part, but at least I can traverse around the base of one. <laughs> Do you, I think you live in Estes Park, Colorado. Is the pool there still the one in the high school? It's a very <laughs> random question. It is. Like, it's in a school, remodeled. right? Yeah. It was oh, nice. It's now become the community center. So they like tore down the school and made this giant community center. Which is cool. Oh, that was like <laughs> a random insular Colorado question. I went to a bunch of, I actually went to a lot of meets there when I was a kid mm -hmm. and um, it is very high altitude. And I do remember that we'd always like figure out what the altitude adjustment was. So we could like be like, Oh, I'm actually this fast. <laughs> like you can just like subtract off your time, but mm -hmm. it is a special place. And um, I have a lot of good memories in that pool. I just had to, <laughs> you know, pool reminisce. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you touched on uh, your adaptive bike and uh, we did watch your the video, the YouTube video about you doing the tour divide. I believe you did a twenty five hundred mile or twenty four hundred mile the cross country trip from the Canadian border in the north to the Mexican border in the south, um, the entire country on an adaptive mountain bike. You did it in twenty five days. Is that right? Yeah, that's yeah. so fast. Because <laughs> like we've okay, you're like our third person who we've interviewed who's done the tour divide. Um, first was Lael Wilcox who was going for the record. Which, I mean, Lael, she, we just put her in a different category. And then Emily Cameron, a woman who did it this past summer. And I think, Alyssa, you might have to remind me what Emily, it was like 30 something days. I think so. And she's an yeah. incredible athlete too. And so 25 days on an adaptive mountain bike, obviously it was a different, it was like a slightly different experience for you, but that's really fast. Can you like tell us about just the whole, you know, from deciding to do it to, I mean, that's a big question. <laughs> like, tell us about your experience. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, the athlete that I was before my injury was, yes, I was a rock climber, but I mostly, yeah, did triathlons and loved running and doing long, long days and long adventures. So a good friend um, had done the tour divide a couple times and was really into bike. Like we had been climbing buddies and he had, was more into biking now. Um, so we would go on a few occasional mountain bike rides. And so before my injury, I was like aware of what the tour divide was. And it was kind of like, Hey, maybe one day I'll do that. And, um, I, then I was injured and he, he was the one in fact that like turned me onto this hand cycle. Like he found the manufacturer and put the order in place. And, and then afterwards I asked him, I was like, Hey, do you think that the tour divide would be something that I could do? Like it's 90% for service roads, not single track. Um, if single track on my hand cycle, I'm a, I'm pretty wide. I like to say I have wide hips. I have like 34 inch hips. Um, so single track trail is kind of difficult on those, but being that this, the tour divide is mostly not single track. I thought, well, this could be doable. So, um, it was just on my plate again. And then I 
it's a lot of work though. So I have a, it has, a, it's an e-assist and the battery only gets like 30 miles, 30, 40 miles of battery is all I can get. So, um, I did the white rim in a day. My challenge was to do the white rim in a day. And if I could do the white rim in a day, which is exactly hundred miles, um, and sort out how far I can get with each battery and get three or four batteries and put panniers on the back and put my batteries in them and see if I could be, do self-supported. I, I kind of did that as a trial run. Um, and it worked and I, I used three batteries exactly. <laughs> and, oh. and, uh, then I was like, cool. And you're going like a hundred miles a day. Then. Yeah. So I was like, cool. I did a hundred miles a day at the white rim. So that means like now I can just have to figure out how to do a hundred miles over and over and over again. <laughs> uh, so I did that's And that I, I did the white rim in April and then I like spun up and I like emailed goal zero and I was like, Hey, I think I need your help with this. Cause I need to charge these batteries on the road. I'm obviously not going to be plugging them in. I need some solar panels and like power boxes. Um, and they said yes, that they would help support. And so then I was like, cool, well, I guess I'm going to try to go for it in June. <laughs> and goal zero did help. Uh, they made a really cool YouTube video about your ride, which is on your website, which we'll link to in the show notes. It's on YouTube. We'll, we'll give our listeners all those links to watch. And that shows a lot of the details and you, they can kind of have eyes on you during that. So we, we definitely encourage everyone to watch and get like, they're really understand this feat, which is incredible. Um, but we are triathletes and we love our gear. So we want to hear a little bit more about your bike and, you know, just kind of like the nuances, like, did you have to, I mean, I feel like this project took off so fast. Maybe this kind of wasn't a main focus, but, um, you know, were you super concerned about things like tire choices and gearing, like specifically for this ride? Um, I know it can be super, super muddy out there. So <laughs> does that play a role into those kinds of things that you had to, to put onto the hand cycle? For sure. And so I actually had put in, uh, I guess, I mean, I'd been pondering if I could do the tour divide, like since the around last year of this time. So around December, so I emailed the manufacturer, um, the men, it's reactive adaptations. He's based out of Crested Butte, Colorado. And, um, I, I kind of spun up like, Hey, I think I'd like to order another hand cycle from you. Um, I, I already have one, but I was really struggling with the first one, the one that my buddy Justin ordered. I was really struggling with, um, the derailleur. I was breaking the derailleur all the time. Like I like to do some technical terrain and like you're tippy. And so you lean from one side to the other. So I was always bonking that derailleur, like hitting boulders with it and breaking it and then having to coat, like take the chain off and the trailer off and like coast down the mountain. Uh, oh. I know. So I've done that a few times, like on Long's peak, I've done that. Um, and so I, I asked Jake if I could, Jake is the owner of Reactive. I asked him, like, hey, I want to build a special build. I'd like bigger tires, in fact, because he standard makes them with 24-inch tires. And I was like, that's not going to work biking across the country. I want bigger tires. I want a roll-off hub, so an internal hub drive, um, so I don't have any derailleur to mess with. Um, and then the battery where it's mounted. The battery on my old hand cycle was mounted on the front, like, which – I don't know if I'm tippy already. Like once you have momentum, it starts tipping me over. And so he mounted it between my legs. So it's like with my center of gravity, which, um, yeah. So a T and I had to like push him. He's a, he has a lot of back orders. So getting a bike in five months was going to be really tight. But in May I was like, yo, uh, I'm leaving in like a month. I need my, I need my hand cycle, please. Uh, so I got my hand cycle at the beginning of June and I had maybe two weeks to ride on it, but it was significantly different. Like having the 27 fives was huge. I, I wish, in fact, I would have gotten 29s. And I think I, like I debate on putting 29s in the front and just running, um, putting 27 in the back 
Um, but that roll-off hub is huge. And then I also had to change the motor. So one of my biggest beefs with these hand cycles is that we are, we're just kind of poaching uh, parts, obviously, from like the regular bike community, because, but nothing is really made for us yet. And so uh, I have a motor, an e-assist, and that is a bottom bracket like on the crank on the pedals and those are just made for regular bikes and we're putting them on all for our hand cycles but obviously we have different power in our arms and we do in our legs and the way that the bike is ergonomically itself like it has we have two chains and they're huge and so we're just putting a lot of force on those chains and so you can break chains with batteries if they're not perfect um and the biggest, the biggest thing is, so on my previous bike, I was uh, riding a torque-driven motor, which, like, to me makes the most sense. Like, the more effort I give in my arms, the more the motor gives back. Um, but it kept breaking. I had blown up three of them in the three years that I've had a bike. I've, like, yeah, I've, like, cracked the casing. I've blown out the cogs, and I actually, like, smoked one out <laughs> somehow. Um, so, obviously, I'm, like, putting these things to test. But I was, like, okay, You're that's like my... <laughs> a one woman research and development I like I know kind of like I was going back and forth with Jake and like I've been e I sometimes get on a whim I get like an little whim and I email specialized I'm like hey you should make these for us brah but I'm just like this yeah. one girl sending out random emails and I'm hoping that somebody catches on um so I switched with the new bike I switched to the cadence driven motor which got better reviews it's like a buffang um which is super popular and gets better reviews um but it wow well, you know I needed it to last 3,000 miles so I switched to that but it's cadence driven so it doesn't feel as natural like it's it's weird like in that it's so it it powers like the more your arms move the more it gives so when you go up a hill your arms slow down so then the motor slows down it's kind of backwards yeah oh did you have any issues or was were things pretty smooth no that motor thankfully lasted right like I'd been blowing my other the other one up like every nine months and probably so probably every three or four hundred miles and this one yeah the whole the motor lasted the entire way I've since blown out the throttle on it it has a little throttle which I use over more technique terrain like when I'm focusing on my balance I can't hand crank and balance and all the stuff all the time uh so I have blown the throttle out but that was after the race <laughs> Oh, perfect timing. How do you feel about like e-assist e bikes in general? Like I know it, they get a little controversial and I'll admit I don't have one, but I've ridden one and I thought it was the most amazing thing I've ever ridden. Um, and, you know, I live in Montana. There's like people who, who say like things about them on the trails and that kind of thing. And I, before I opine myself, I'd love to hear your opinions just for, you know, from your perspective. Yeah, you know, before my injury, I probably was a little more staunch about it. Um, but now, like just this weekend, my mom and I went to this place. I, I'm down at my folks in Arizona. And we went to a place to go on a bike ride. And there's this 18-mile loop that I wanted to do. And um, we, as soon as we're arriving in the parking lot, there's the big sign that said no e-bikes. And she has an e-bike. And, like, she's not going to do an 18. She's 65. She's not going to do an 18-mile bike ride without me. And, like, I was like, Mom, whatever. Like, no, I mean, you're not going to tear up the trail. Like, I know they do get that representation of, like, they're awful and they're tearing it up more. But, like, there have been some, finally, some research that have shown that, like, the impact that they have on trails is not any different than actual mountain bikes. And, yes, you're always going to have that asshole out there who's going to do whatever he wants. Just, like, hiking. There, there are people out there who are just going to be jerks uh, and going fast. And so, anyway, at some point on this, when my mom and I decided to do this 18-mile ride uh, and – Meanwhile, she's getting passed by people without e-bikes. Like, it's not like she's doing anything crazy. And thankfully, nobody said anything. And I was like, whatever. We're like, 
she wouldn't have been on this ride if it wasn't. And so I think e-bikes, I don't know, my head has been turned to like seeing the smiles on people's faces that are doing something that they wouldn't have done if they didn't have that power. Like me, I, uh, my bike is e-assisted, but legally speaking, it's not an e-bike because it's for my disability. Um, but I wouldn't have done the tour divide without it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> And Quinn, it's clear uh, from your stories here that you are still getting out into the wilderness, kind of out and about all over. And so you and your climbing partner, when you fell, were both remote rescue trained. And there is little doubt that those skills helped during the accident, but just probably in general. I mean, you know, your derailleur breaks on a, just being able to know, like, I can survive what's coming at me and like what happens here, like what's going to, you know, go on. So I know I'm guilty of often going into the backcountry and outdoors quite a lot without some formal training, right? So if people are listening and we're like, okay, let's back up step one, you know, what classes should we be looking at? What kind of, you know, there's a lot of options and it's kind of like, well, do I really need to go do the 10 day course in the wilderness, right? Like what, what would you recommend? Yeah, I would. I would recommend everyone, if you're going to be playing out in the wilderness, take a wilderness first responder class, which are usually 10 days in the classroom, or you can find some online hybrid ones that are like a three-day weekend, and then you do some online work in the interim. But I think you, I recommend that. And then getting to know, like getting a spot device. I know that um, we shouldn't, I don't know, I struggled as a rescuer in that I feel like people were really reliant on the fact that they're going to get cell, cell phone service or that when you... Um, I guess maybe more understanding and educating yourself that like just because you have a in reach or a cell phone or at any of those things, like they're not necessarily going to work. Like the, the, your ping from the reach device can ping you in a four mile radius of where you are. And that doesn't necessarily mean that a helicopter is going to be like swooping in in five minutes. Like you still might have to spend the night out. So just understanding that like people are doing the best that they can with the resources that they have available to them on the rescue side. And so you need to do the best that you can and carry the resources with you on the recreation side. That is great advice. As we, we move from roads to trails, you know, that is a general, um, a, you know, making sure we're, 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 like we mentioned before, aware of the um, safety requirements when you are out on your own. But 10 days, 10 days is nothing. <laughs> we can all do that if we want to get out in the wilderness. And and you have, you know, you have a, a big background, like we said, in wilderness and public lands. I believe you worked as a climbing ranger for the National Park Service. And then now, I believe you're serving as the first ever National Park Service Wilderness and Accessibility Coordinator, which is within a position within the U.S. Department of the Interior. So we do want to hear a little bit about this job and, you know, your, how your relationship with public lands evolved and, you know, you came to be in this position. Um, yeah, so I've had a long relationship with public lands as a child, we would my family, we would travel to national parks every summer. And so by the time I graduated high school, I visited like most wet, most of them west of the Mississippi. Um, so I just I never thought I would have a job in the national park system, I guess, but I, I found myself there as I evolved as a climber and in my rescue, like and I'm, I'm an EMT and found that the perfect meld of being an EMT and loving climbing and being in the wilderness was to rescue people. Uh, when they had a hard day in the mountains. And so that's how I started working for the Park Service. And then as a climber, I guess, realizing more and more the impact that we have on, as climbers, the impact that we're having on these recreation areas and these wilderness areas, but also not just as climbers, just as recreationists in general. Like you step off most trails and you just find this like landmine strewn of teepee. And 
it's just awful. And so trying to be uh, a louder voice for these places that we love to recreate in them. And yes, we, we want to continue recreating in them, but how do we maintain them and keep them for the, what they were preserved for in the first place? And in 2018, you campaigned with Caroline Gleick, who is a, a woman we've had on the Iron Women podcast as well, and definitely encourage people to go back and listen to that episode. And um, you were together, you know, with a group of kind of endurance athletes and elite athletes um, advocating for public lands. And so I'm curious, you know, this has now been three years where you've been involved in doing this. Have you seen things change and, you know, hopefully for the better? Mm. Uh -oh. <laughs> uh, well, I think COVID has really put a, a a mix in there because it's we've noticed during COVID times like people were out recreating more than ever, um, and so I think that has just shown the detriment to which we are what we are doing to our public land. So I make that face only because right, like yes, we've been recreating on them, but then <clears throat> the last two years we've just exponentially increased the amount of use on our trails and on our systems. Um, and so we, <clears throat> we need to work proactively and not so much reactively. So we need to understand that like, well, it's only going to get worse. And we need to like these reservations, the, I'm speaking from my personal opinion only, not, on, at, not as an employee of the national park system, but like these reservation systems, like they might suck, but I think that we need them. Like, why do you, you we go, if we don't have them and you go to these parks and you complain about how busy they are and you're like in the funnel of people. Um, do you, if you want to have an enjoyable solitude experience, then maybe, yeah, we have to plan a little bit um, to get into our parks and have these recreation systems or have these permit systems work. But a little bit of planning can mean that maybe you can have a more enjoyable experience. And if our listeners are listening and, you know, <clears throat> curious about organizations they could look into that are helping in the conservation or, um, you know, just maybe wanting to get a little bit more active in it themselves. Um, you know, should they, do you have recommendations on an organization or where they should start? Like, should we be writing letters to our politicians saying, you know, reservations are a good thing to protect national parks and things like that? I think it's just that it's, you don't have to state whatever your opinion is but yes be more involved in on the local level in your governments like write those letters make those phone calls it really does make a difference and I know it seems overwhelming for me and what Carolyn and I have done like on the national level going to DC and doing climb the hill or hike the hill and speaking to our legislators one-on-one -on -one there um, that can feel overwhelming but I find on the local level they on the local level politics runs a little bit different and it is more community oriented and they do want to hear your voice um, and they, and your letters and your phone calls and you showing up to community hearings make a difference. So do that. I think that's step one. Like if you have an opinion, don't just spray it on social media, go voice it to the people that can actually make the change. <laughs> and circling back a little bit to your role within national park service as the wilderness accessibility coordinator, when, you know, a non-disabled person like myself thinks about accessibility in public lands, I'm, or in national parks, I, I think, well, I think about Yellowstone, because that's one closest to me. And so I'm like, is this, what does this mean? Is it, is it making the trails more accessible? Is it making sure the Old Faithful Inn is accessible? Like, can you talk about that part of your role? Yeah, for sure. So the national parks have been for a while now, for the last at least five to 10 years, have been working on, uh, we're obviously all like, 
yes, the national parks are behind, but so is much in society behind on actually meeting those requirements and standards of getting into a bathroom, getting into a building, those kind of things. So the front country, yes, the national park has been working on that. And it's a, it's a process because um, a lot of these things are historical buildings. And so we're trying to, but for me, I'm on the wilderness side. And so, yes, I'm trying to uh, allow, create more recreational opportunities for people with disabilities, because at the moment we're we're sort of funneled into the one mile paved trail where a lot, most of our visitors go. Um, and for all of these, uh, for wheelchairs and off-road wheelchairs and my hand cycle included, if it meets the definition of a wheelchair, it's allowed to go anywhere in our parks that foot travel is allowed. So I don't want to just go to that one mile paved trail. And and I'm way more capable than that one mile paved trail. So my job has been to open people's eyes of like what these things are capable of and what we desire as a community. Um, and it doesn't mean I have gotten some pushback of like, it means that I'm looking for paved trails up Long's Peak, for instance. No, 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 not at all. I too want to like hard recreational experience or, you know, something that gives me joy and gives me challenge. Um, so I'm just trying to educate on what, I guess, like what the definitions of wheelchair are. And then the, on the other side, giving trail information. So all of our, on the federal land side and even on the state land side, like trying to be consistent about what information we're giving at the trailhead. So I, as a user, can decide if this trail works for me rather than you telling me, well, that one over there has the picture of the wheelchair person. So that's probably the chair that you, or the trail that you should go to. No, I, I I'd like to go to this trail because then it, I, there's more information. And the information is like not only the length, it's the overall width of the trail, the overall cross slope, the running slope, all of that stuff. And then so I can make a decision because for me on my hand cycle, as I said, like if it's a super narrow trail, then I might not choose to go on that trail. Or if it's got a super um, cross slope from, from right side to left side and I'm going to be really tippy, I might not choose to go on that trail. But if I have you two lovely ladies hiking with me, then I might say, hey, you know what? I got a good crew with me today. Let's go try it. Mm -hmm. One of the things I learned one by, well, watching that goal zero video and watching you ride, right. It's like you can get through so much. Right. And then I listened to another podcast where you kind of talked about single track and how various minor adjustments can be made to just make it like something that you could tackle with or without Haley and I hiking with you or something like that. Right. And so that was something I know I've, I've definitely learned is that, you know, it doesn't need to be like a smooth, smooth single track, like you said, super wide or anything like that. Um, I no, think you can fact, handle a lot like, more than what many capable people are comfortable handling. <laughs> right. And I know that I'm on the other end of the extreme spectrum, but it's like, I think it's, I'm very aware of like my capabilities and not everyone there, but I think it, I want to push from the top down instead of we've been going from the bottom up. Um, and yeah, what I've been finding with in my cross-referencing with like what makes a trail more usable for people with a variety of mobility devices, what I'm finding is like if you just build to the best extent practicable in a sustainable way, like of course if there's horses on trails, if there's hikers on trails, like nobody likes steps. As you notice on most trails, if there's steps, there's another side trail going around the steps. So I'm like, nobody likes steps and it just makes the trail wider. And then there's water damage that happens because it's, you're not mitigating erosion in the right way. So I'm like, Really what I'm asking for is just be mindful of like how sustainable you're building your trail, what kind of traffic is going to be on your trail. Like if you do have horses and then you need like horses and people need to pass one another, is your trail going to be wide enough for that? Or are people getting off the trail anyway? And now that we have these incredibly overwhelmed parks, like we have these huge crowds. So are these really narrow trails really working? Like if we widen it two feet, 
yes, it might change the character of the wilderness a little bit because it's a wider trail, but is it ultimately changing the character of the wilderness or is it just now we're like helping to contain the people in a better space? So they're like stepping off and not, not trampling as much off trail. And I think one of the best ways and, that the public can support uh, our public lands is, you know, in addition, maybe you don't want to, you know, uh, write letters or call your your politicians, but you can just go and visit the lands, right, and use them. And I think that's a great way of showing support. So do you have a favorite national park? You know, I'm dying to know if you, if one of them on the top of your list could be now east of the Mississippi as someone who's <laughs> born and raised on the East Coast. <laughs> You know, one that I've been wanting to visit, actually, well, there's a lot in the East Coast that I've been wanting to visit, but ones that I'm in conversation for with for work are like the Great Smoky Mountains mm-hmm. um, and Congaree. And mm-hmm. I really, really would like to go to Acadia because I've never been. If you come to Acadia, I'm in New Hampshire, so you'll have to let me know because I haven't been either and I'm, I'm dying to go. Cool. What about West? I'm out West. <laughs> are, you know, are, what, what's your favorites out here? <laughs> uh, well, my one of my favorites always has been Zion. I just love Zion. I'm not sure. Just and the, yeah, all of the ones in the desert Southwest, like Capitol Reef and Arches and Canyonlands, all of those. I love those parks. <laughs> um, and then in, we go back to that that video again because it is well done, beautiful video. And I think there was a part in there where you ask you know, you say, what is my joy? What is my purpose? And it sounds like throughout this conversation, you know, it is an evolving question. Um, I mean, do you feel like you've found answers throughout your, your life? I mean, do you have other things that, um, you know, as some of us, uh, might be making resolutions can be working toward, you know, obviously like I find joy in recreating outside. And so I feel really fortunate that my job before my injury was doing that and, my job now is somewhat doing that as as COVID has hindered a little bit of my traveling to parks. But yeah, to find that. And, and of course, it's always evolving. And I need to recognize that like, I'm not going to be able to play outside forever and ever as even my life has changed with this injury and my the amount I can recreate is less. So I play more piano or I've been getting into watercoloring. <laughs> And Quinn, I think the last question we have is a little bit about like your community. Um, and I know that like in, in my community, you know, once you start looking, it's like there, there are actually within existing endurance sports communities, a lot of adaptive athletes and kind of groups, um, getting adaptive athletes outside and on trails and things like that. And it sounds like you have managed to put together a great community to help you with like these epic tour divide goals, but as well as getting out on your local longs peak and things like that. Right. So, um, you know, how important has your community been and do you have advice for those of us who might want to just get a little bit more involved, um, you know, and, and kind of get outside with an adaptive athlete and say, you know, let's just go for a hike and, you know, we'll see if we can help you through something you couldn't get through. And if not, we'll turn around or whatever. Like, is that the best way to kind of make sure that everyone's getting outside and, and doing the things that they love? Yeah, exactly that. I would say what I struggled with, the, one of the things I struggled with the most after my injury was not being invited anymore um, because I'm, you know, I think I move differently or people are just not aware of how that I can or that I want to or they're afraid or something. It's not necessarily me. It's the other folks of how they don't know how to deal with it. And 
I think that is the best way is just ask, like, know that it might be a shit show or know that you might have to help piggyback them or whatever, but just have a conversation like, Hey, let's go on a hike. And then when you're out there, like, Hey, what does this look like for you? Do you have that? You know, it's just like, it's a higher level of communication. Like, what are your expectations or what do we want to do today? Or like, if you tip over, how can we help you? Those kind of things. But step one, just ask, like, we want to just go for a walk outside too. (laughs) They're afraid you're going to like smoke them on the descent. <laughs> I have raced, I have raced with a friend um, in a hand cycle on a descent. And I, you cannot, I could not keep up. Like, as a, you know, it's like, you're so much more aerodynamic <laughs> and she's fearless. I think she's actually less fearless than me, but um, further before you catch me. But um, anyway, I will say that, <laughs> um, you know, definitely uh, descending is, probably it's amazing it's amazing it was like I was like watching the distance and I was like oh I wish I could follow that line (laughs) but um it's just yeah and the aerodynamics of it but Quinn thank you so much for for chatting with us and for teaching us more about accessibility in public lands and your own journey through sport and kind of inspiring us as we start this new year uh we wish you the best and we hope you keep making lots of videos and having lots of big adventures because they are fun to watch while I sit on the trainer in the snow. (laughs) Thanks you guys. Haley, have you ever realized that skincare is an all season job? It really is Alyssa. Winter can be just as harsh on my skin as the summertime sun. I rely on Zilio skincare products to get me through every season here in Montana. My favorite winter products are the body lotion, lip protection, and of course, Betwixt chamois cream. Mine too. And our Iron Women listeners can also stock up on Zelios products for the season ahead. Use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 15% off. That's right, get 15% off at teamzelios.com using code IRONWOMEN. Thank you so much to Quinn for coming on, sharing her story. And I definitely encourage all of our listeners to head to quinnbrett.com and check out the uh, video that we referenced several times in the interview. It's totally worth the 13 minutes of watching. It's very inspiring. It's the goal zero power moves Quinn Brett and the tour divide video. Um, so, so definitely put that on your to-do list this week. It inspires me to get an e-bike. I want an (laughs) e-bike. That is, I just am like, I, I'm like, um, I just think that they're really cool, but, and it's just amazing what technology can, can do these days. But I think it's so um, cool that the technology getting more people outside and doing the things they love, which is something to be said for that. So big fan of the e-bike. Yes. If my opinion wasn't clear during the interview, I'm very pro e-bike. <laughs> very, very much. I think getting more people on bikes is only a good thing, but, um, like you said, thanks to Quinn and I, uh, Alyssa, I'm going to go, hopefully go cheer for the dogs and, you know, hopefully next week I'm in a extra good mood after a 40 year drought of, <laughs> of lack of national championships off for football the swimming drought there's no drought for swimming at university of georgia we have there's been quite a few national championships on that side so these boys better step it up (laughs) all right all right so good luck haley go dogs i'll talk to you next week you have been listening to the iron women podcast hosted by haley chura and Alyssa gadeski Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited and produced by Lindsay Glassford. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives.
Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Zelio Skincare, Orca Sportswear, and Inside Tracker. You can find all websites and discount codes at ironwomenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.